I awoke at around 3 to 3.15 a.m. I heard a scream coming from my sister. The immediate thought I had was something was wrong with my mother. About a little while later, maybe about three minutes, maybe, I heard a thud. A little. Okay, could you describe this sound for okay. us? Okay, it was about this loud. And then about a minute and a half later, I heard, or I mean half a minute later, I heard um, a thud like this, even louder. And at that time, I was petrified. Welcome to the Fallen Stage. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember, the Fallen Stage is now on Locals.com, so click the link in the description to support our work. And also, a quick reminder, you can become a member of the Fallen Stage to help support our work. And thank you all in advance. I do appreciate it. I um, have with me Collier Landry. And he is a cinematographer, award-winning documentary filmmaker, and the host of Moving Past Trauma podcast. Collier, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. I totally appreciate it. I, um, we were just talking, Jeff, before we started the film here. You lived in Ohio. You grew up in Ohio. I did. And, and you moved to L.A. because you wanted to live by the beach, one reason, right? Yeah, I wanted to just, you know, for me, I wanted to get as far away from where I grew up and I, w- I wanted to establish who I was as, as who I am and my identity independent of what happened to me as a child. Right. I, didn't want to, I wanted to come, you know, like cheers, <laughs> go to a place that everybody knows your name. I wanted to go to a place where nobody knew who I was so I could understand and I can know moving on in my life you like me for me you like my work for me you want to be around me for me not because of what happened to me or who I am we're going to get into that you had a very (laughs) interesting life growing up man I do it's like a movie it is like a movie it is a movie (laughs) yeah Um, and so you turn that into a documentary and then what happened eventually yeah but not yet no, no, it is. No, it's already. Oh. It's been out. Yeah. So I oh. made a film called The Murder of Mansfield, directed by two-time Oscar winner Barbara Koppel. Uh, but that journey was the whole reason why I moved to Los Angeles. Right. Uh, so I got into the film business specifically to learn everything about film so I could do something with my story, the murder of my mother, my, my family trauma, my involvement in this, you know, being the child who witnessed the murder, who no one believed except for one detective, and then ultimately put my father in prison where he still is to this day. Amazing. And I wanted to document, and I wanted to do something to show people the journey of that. You know what I mean? Because it's a hard road to hoe. Yeah, and I want to get into that. Who are you now? Who am I now? Yeah. I'm the person that I've always known that I would be as far as how I carry myself, how I interact with the world, but I haven't changed a bit. 
I'm still that 11 year old boy who witnessed, who heard that murder happen and who stood up and said, you're not going to get away with this. And I think one of the things that was really interesting is when I was watching the film when we premiered in New York at the Be- dock. Before you do that, let me yeah. ask, what does that feel like? We're going to talk about your mother was murdered by your father. Yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what does that, you say you steal that boy, what does that feel like on the inside? What did that look like for those who can't see within you? Well, I just, I still have that same, I, hope I, have, I still have that same outlook on life with, with, I look at life in an optimistic way. I'm a perpetual optimist. And I understand that that sounds really difficult for a lot of people understanding what I, what I went through in my life. But for me, that was the choice. And integrity has been a big part of my story. And doing the right thing and standing up to evil, and the, you know, standing up to evil and doing what's right. And it's something that I tell, like when I talk to young people a lot, I say, you, when, when I made those choices as a child, I knew that I would have to look myself in the mirror one day. Yeah. I can say, you know, this is 33 years later. I can say that I can look myself in the mirror no matter what and know that I did what was right. <laughs> I stood up for justice for my mother, for myself, for my family in the face of losing everything, and also in the face of dealing with a monster. Amazing. So I read that your father murdered your mother when you were 10 years old. 11. 11 years old. So tell them what's happened then. What happened? So it was the, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'll give you the sort of the, the, the abridged version. Right. So my parents were going through, my father was a doctor. I grew up in a very small town called Mansfield, Ohio. And if your audience doesn't know that, if you've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, that's where it's shot. If you've seen the film The Murder of Mansfield, that's what it's about. But I, it was a very small town, and my family was all from the East Coast, from Philadelphia. Um, I had spent the first five years of my life in Virginia, and then my father, who was a doctor and a naval base in Virginia, got a job at this small town in Mansfield, Ohio. And we moved there. We didn't know anybody. And I, um, I grew up. What I felt was like a really, was a normal life, but I was a constant companion to my mother. And education was a place in really high regard. Both my parents went to Penn. Uh, they were city kids from Philadelphia, but that was like everybody went to Penn at that time. They were scholarship students. And so I learned, education had a really high value in my home. And I think that ultimately I, I come back to that because that's what led me through this is building the resilience. And... I, but my father was a chronic womanizer, but I didn't know this. And it wasn't until the summer of 1989 on Father's Day when I saw my father make out with another woman that he introduced me to who I'd met before. And she had a ring on that looked like my mother's. And then he asked me to lie to my mom about it. And I did at that time. And then the next day, I was so overwhelmed with guilt because I'd never lied before in my life. And I went and to my mother. And this you were 11 years old? When I was 11. 
And so you went to your mother? I went to my mother and I told her, I said, I think daddy's having an affair. He told me to lie. I'm really sorry. I've never lied to anyone. I've never lied to you. <laughs> and she, you know, she said, you know, I don't appreciate you lying, but I appreciate you telling me the truth. But I'm, I'm also angry that your father put you in that position and asked you to lie. And then she went on the phone and she was yelling. <laughs> I went in the other room and was yelling. And so ultimately what happened over the next six months is my parents were engaged in a very nasty divorce. My mother was a very wonderful, beautiful, classly, classy woman, educated, tax smart, quick wit, just a wonderful person, very caring and compassionate with everyone. And that's where I learned all that from. And so my father, who was a narcissist, he was very abusive to us growing up. He was very, he had a, he was a rageaholic. He had a, he had a, a, a temper. He was very, you know, he would become apoplectic and he, at the drop of a hat. And, and, you know, I dropped an egg on the floor one time and I remember him scream, he started screaming at me and telling me he's going to kill me, you know, my mother, and then kill her. And he slammed the door and broke all the windows in the door. I mean, all these things, right? It was very violent. And, but he was leading a very du duplicitous life, which I had no idea of. And then I came to find out this was a girlfriend. Uh, and then, what had happened was, is on December 31st, 1989, so December 30th, my father brought my grandmother, who was his mother, who was very close to my mother, to our house for New Year's. And she was sick with pneumonia, so she didn't come for Christmas that year. And my mother had adopted a, a three-year-old girl from Taiwan about six months before this, so right before the girlfriend and all this stuff had happened, that I knew of, at least. Uh, so I had a sister, her name was Elizabeth and she was three years old from China. And my, um, so my grandmother came to the house, you know, I kissed my mother goodnight that night and I woke up at about three eighteen in the morning to a scream. And then I heard about separated by about 60 seconds, two loud thuds. I heard my father muttering and I was frozen in my bed. And I kept saying, I think this is happening. I think my f something's happened to my mother. And to sort of give a little bit of context to this, about a month and a half before that, my father was just becoming nastier and nastier with us, and he wasn't staying at the house, and he was you know, obviously with his girlfriend. And so I would, when I would split time between my parents, I would see the girlfriend. It was just really weird. But my mother came to me, and she said, we were driving to go get some dinner after school, and she said, if something ever happens to me, call your, she, she says, you know, I know I would never leave you. So if something ever happens to you, I want you to know that my father, that your father probably had me killed. I was like, oh my goodness, like what? And I was like, no, mommy, that would never happen. So this happens in the middle of the night and I hear my father muttering and then I count about 12 footsteps as they walk down the hall. I was a child that always slept with my door open and I was laying there with my eyes open and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, don't look up. And the feet stop in the doorway. And I can see them out of my peripheral vision. I'm like, don't look up. Because I know, and I know now, and I knew then, that if I had looked up, I wouldn't be here. Because it's not that difficult to make the hole a little bigger and say, oh, she left with the kid in the middle of the night. So you think your father would have killed you 100%. had you looked up? A hundred percent. And why do you think that? Because my father's a psychopath. Because my father was planning... Was pre, had premeditated to murder my mother for months before. Uh, my father had bought a house in another state. 
my father had bought her quote-unquote burial shroud, which was a tarp, that was sitting on our front porch for six months before that, and including the indoor-outdoor carpeting, this AstroTurf carpeting, sitting on our porch for... Y'all yeah. knew it was to kill your mother? I didn't her? know it at that time. Oh. No, of course not. <laughs> no, of course not. But I later at the trial, you know, oh, identified all these things. So what happened is, is that he, they, he left. I went back to sleep. I woke up the next morning. A few hours later, I ran straight to my mother's bedroom looking for blood. And I noticed that, you know, she wasn't there, obviously. The bed was in a state of disarray, like not left how she normally would. I, I come downstairs. My father's sitting on the couch uh, with a towel wrapped on his waist. He had just gotten out of the shower. And I said, where is my mother? And he was watching CNN. He didn't even look at me. I said, where is my mother? And he looked at me and he goes, well, Collier, mommy took a little vacation. And I knew right then and there, I was like, game on. So he goes into this whole diatribe about how we're not going to call the police. We're not going to call the FBI, which I thought was really weird. It's like we're in a small town in Ohio, FBI. Like, what are you talking about? But (laughs) (laughs) it's very weird. But uh, he leaves and my grandmother says, well, you know, your father said, don't call anyone. I was like, okay. So my mother had just gotten a cordless phone. And I grabbed the cordless phone, and I went upstairs to my bedroom. And I had saved, because of this little caveat for my mother a couple of months beforehand, I had saved all my mother's friends' phone numbers on a piece of paper that I stored in this little Santa Claus Garfield that so I had. you're 11 years old. 11 years old. I just old. want to remind the people, you're 11, 11 years, years old. old. All this is happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I take that little piece of paper, I go into the bathroom, I lock the door, I start calling all the numbers, and I tell them what I heard, what happened. I said, I, my father said not to call the police, so I'm not calling the police, I'm calling you. <laughs> so a couple hours later, police show up at our house, uh, two uniform officers. My grandmother is livid, yelling at me, saying, you called the police. I said, I didn't call the police. <laughs> it's very true, I, was, I didn't call the police. And... Uh, but she was helicoptering over me like a hawk uh, as we walked through the house, so I wasn't really able to talk to them. The only thing I did say to one of the officers is I said something that my mother always said, which was, I, w- I don't trust my father as far as I could throw him. But they left, and my father came home that night, and his lawyer came over, his divorce, divorce lawyer, and he's speculating where my mother could have gone, and we're having this big family conversation, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, you're delusional. But I'm watching him like a hawk because I'm you making were convinced notes. convinced that he had killed your mother. Or done something to her at the very least. Oh, okay. Because you don't want to think that really happens, right? You right. don't really want to go there. Yeah. But you're like, she's gone, so I'm going to process that, and I'm going to deal with that first. So my father then, he was, he was moving to Erie, Pennsylvania with his girlfriend. And he was going to start a new life and all this stuff because... He was going to get divorced. My father made plenty of money at the t- time, and you know, and he was really screwing my mother over in the divorce. But he was a really, you know, because he was very nasty. He's a narcissist, so he's just, you know, she wanted to divorce him, so that's the issue with him, right? So it's not his fault that none of any, anything, nothing's his fault, right? Even though he was a fornicator and had been had multiple affairs with countless women, even simultaneously, I mean, for years this has been going on that I didn't know about. How did you find out? I found out all this after after the trial and everything. And as I got older, I started finding out these people would come out of the woodwork. And then when I started the podcast, people coming out of the woodwork telling me story. I mean, it's wild. So your father was a slut maker. I I don't know if he was a slut maker. I don't know what that (laughs) means. But my father was my father was a man that had sex with a lot of women and not married. I mean, he, he, I would just say he was a, he, he, he was 
a womanizer. I mean, whatever you call slut maker, (laughs) promiscuous, you know, a philanderer, whatever you want to call it, a charlatan, uh, whatever. It's it's all probably all of the above, if you will. Uh, But he, um, so the the thing that happened is so this is January first now, nineteen ninety, and. I had called my mother's friends and I said, again, up in the bathroom, I said, what's going on? And they're like, well, we filed a missing persons report. I was like, okay. He's done something to her, so what's happening? So by the grace of God, or whatever you want to call it, a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant David Messmore, it was New Year's Day in a sleepy small town in Ohio, and he happened to see the missing persons report, and he goes, this is interesting. Doctor's wife goes missing on New Year's Eve. So he comes to the house. And my grandmother's yelling at him at the door, won't let him in. He's like, oh, I just wanted to come talk. Is the doctor here, this and that? And I'm like, come on in, you know. So my grandmother loses it. She goes to call my father. And when I was a kid, my mother would tell me stories of growing up in Philadelphia and riding the carousels, you know, like the right. horses, horse carousels. Yeah. And she always told me that the whole object, you pay the you know, nickel to go on the carousel and you could win a prize by grabbing the brass ring. So my mother always tell me, grab the brass ring in life. And I knew at that moment when my grandmother leaves and I'm alone with the detective, that that was a brass ring moment. Oh, I see. And I looked at him and I said, something has happened to my mother. My father's done something to her. My mother would never leave me. Give me your card. I'm going to school tomorrow. Give me your card. <laughs> Gives me the card. My grandmother comes back, yelling at him. He goes, okay, I'll come back later to talk to the doctor. So he came back later that night, wouldn't let him in. My father's there with his lawyer and the whole thing, his divorce lawyer. The, the girlfriend comes over that night to sort of pork roast and everything. It's just super weird. But the next day when I go to school, I walk right into my principal's office. I give her the card. I say, you need to call this man right now and get him down here. And David Messmore came down to my school. And for three, four hours, I lay out the entirety of my parents' relationship and my experience with my father, my father's proclivity for violence. He was, you know, how he treated us, the whole thing, the events of the night, like everything. And he's, and, and, and he's looking at me like, who is this kid? Because I was, I was almost 12 years old, but I was still 11. And I say to him, I'm going to go home, and when my grandmother is downstairs making dinner or dealing with my sister, I'm going to run upstairs, and I'm going to pull the bookcases out of the wall, because we have crawl spaces upstairs, to see if I can find my mother's body. And then I'm going to go, and I'm going to look to find her purse, because my father's claim was that the thuds that I had heard in the middle of the night was my mother throwing a purse the, at him and threw all her credit cards at him. He, his story was... She, they got into a fight. She was yelling at him. He, she threw her purse at him, threw all her credit cards at him, walked, because she confronted him downstairs on the couch, had walked out of the house in the dead of winter, December 31st, 1989, walked down our driveway in the middle of the snowstorm and got into a car that was waiting for her at the end of the driveway. That was his story. That was his story at trial. That was his story with me. She left in that car, and uh, which I knew was nonsense, right? So... You know, and I laid out all these things for him. But, you know, so I'm looking for a purse. I'm telling him, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start looking for clues and building this case against my father. And I had contact with Dave Messmore every day. And I would call him for updates because my father came home with, like, 
scratches. My father always had well-manicured hands. It was a point of pride for him. He had cuts all over his hands. And I noticed, so I was like, okay, mental note. He asked me to rub his shoulders one night with Ben Gay because he was really sore, so he was moving boxes, and, and which is like a muscle-relaxing yeah. ointment. Yeah. Uh, then the really odd thing was is my father, who used to abuse me for not watching violent movies with him or covering my eyes if there was blood or sex or anything like a good little boy, right? I don't want to see these things. I'm a child, right? Uh, mostly probably out of fear that my mother might, might whoop my ass if she knew I'd watched a bad movie. But, but uh, no, in all seriousness, and, and I was playing, a, I, I had gotten a Nintendo that year for Christmas. I was playing a fighting game, and my father said, what, what is this, this game you're playing? This is violent. I never would have bought this for you. And I thought, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> like, who is this man? But just his really bizarre behavior is coming out from him. And I can notice over the course of several weeks, he was getting more and more stressed and things were, but he wasn't abusive. He was very, becoming very passive. The real turning point in all of this was I'm going to school every day. My father is leaving. What he, grade are you in at that time? I think, what, fifth grade? Yeah, fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade. At 11. Fifth grade, sixth grade. Does that make sense? Did yeah, you, fifth grade. Fifth did grade. you tell your friends that your father killed your mother at school? Well, I mean, I, I told them, yeah, I mean, missing. I told them I'm looking for my mom. Like, right. like, you know, they're all, everybody's speculating, right? And I, um, no, I guess sixth grade, right? What do you, is that what yeah, it, I, something like Sixth that. grade. I, I don't have children, yeah. so I don't know. Right. <laughs> sixth grade, because I'm trying to think, right. I stayed another year in the school, and then I laughed, okay, so yeah, because I went to public school when I was in eighth grade. So, yeah. Anyways, I was in sixth grade. So, um, I, uh, one night my father says to me, this is middle of January, around January 15th. He says, I want to take you, he's like, I'm, I need to go to my office to, to get some paperwork. And of course, I'm watching this man like a hawk. So I go with him to his office to pick up paperwork. We stop at a gas station on the way back home. And he goes in the gas station. And again, brass ring opportunity here, brass ring moment. I'm watching him through the dashboard and I start rummaging through his truck. And I open up the center console in the truck and I find two photographs. One is of a house that I've never seen before. And the second one, is of his girlfriend, Sherry, with her two children, sitting in front of a fireplace that's been wrapped in plastic. I thought to myself, that looks like a new fireplace, and this is a new house. I go next day to the school. I tell them about the house. I said, I found this house. The girlfriend is there. This, 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 this is not a coincidence. <laughs> and... I don't, I, I, you know, I tell Dave Messmore this, he, well, that's interesting. What happens is, is I don't hear from him for a couple of days. And, I, you know, I'm checking in with him, but, like, he doesn't come to the school or anything. But around, like, January 21st, 22nd, 1990, my father comes to me. And, as I said, over the course of these weeks, I can tell there's more and more stress and pressure. But he's not acting out on it, being abusive or anything. He's, but I can tell he's under some duress. And... He says to me, he goes, you know, this has been really stressful, the way that mommy has left us, has left our family, because it was always her fault. She left the family. She, you know, has left us to fend for ourselves. I, I, you know, I think that it would be really, it would be really nice for us to have a father and son bonding trip. I have a medical convention coming up in Florida, and I think you should come with me, and it'll help us bond. It'll get your mind off your mother and stuff. Now, every year... My father, my, my, we would go as a family to Clearwater Beach, Florida for a medical convention. That was in the spring, not in the dead of winter. It was in the spring because it's spring break. Kids can go. You can go to Bush Gardens. You can go to the beach. You can do all that. 
not in, not in the middle of January, end of January, right after Christmas and holidays. And I knew at that moment that he told me that, I'm not coming back from Florida. That he's on to me talking to the police because Dave Messmore is showing up to our house every single night wanting to talk to him. The press is coming now. His lawyer is there. I mean, so I'm sure he's trying to figure out, like, how are they getting this information? Uh, they're nosing around. They're asking questions. But I, again, go to school that next day after he tells me this. And I said, Dave, I said, he wants to take me to Florida. And I'm, I've been able to swim since I was four years old. I'm going to drown in the Gulf of Mexico mysteriously. I'm not coming back. <laughs> and Amazing. on the morning of January 24th, 1990, Two agents from Children's Services woke me up at 6 a.m. and said, you have 15 minutes, you have 20 minutes to pack a bag. We're getting out of here. And I could hear a bunch of commotion downstairs, and I knew that this was, this was real. And I asked if I could take my dog, and they said, we'll come back for your dog. I never saw my dog again. Um, I packed a bag for myself and my sister. I come down. My entire house is flooded with investigators, men and, white, men and women in white lab coats, police cars everywhere, the whole thing. They are searching, they're serving a search warrant in my house looking for my mother's body. I didn't go to school that day. I go to uh, the principal of my school's house. And a case where? To the principal of my school's oh, house. Oh, okay. And I, I, um, I get visited by a woman who says she's a caseworker. Now, I don't know what a caseworker is, but I know if you have a caseworker, it's probably not such a good thing. <laughs> and she basically says to me, you know, well, you know, your father, nobody can find your father. I'm like, yeah, you think? That night, as I'm saying, because I couldn't get, I was asthmatic growing up as a child. I couldn't get, I had probably the worst asthma attack of my life. And I thought I was going to die. I didn't have my medicine with me because it was at the house, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the house is a police crime scene now. Uh, but the next morning, you know, as I'm fighting for every breath that night, something else is happening in another state. And I go the next morning to the hospital to get a, um, a breathing treatment. And I remember walking into the lobby of the hospital. And these are all people I knew because my father was a doctor. I would go on his rounds with him and talk to patients and like go to the hospital. So I knew people. I was a very personal child. And they pushed me away from an honor box. For those of you that don't know what an honor box is, it's where they keep newspapers, you put the money in, and you can only take one newspaper. That's why it's called an honor box. But I remember being ushered away from that, and there was a ton of people in the hospital, in the lobby. Got the breathing treatment and then um, from a family friend, and then they said to me, they said, call your Lieutenant Massmore found your mother. They found her. And she was dead. Now, it is very difficult to articulate how that feels because the cruel dichotomy of all of this is that one part of you is relieved that for the last month you haven't been going crazy, that what you believed was true, was actually true. But there's this overwhelming sadness that the person that you loved more than anything in this entire world is never coming back. 
Yeah, I can imagine. And that the person who is responsible for that is your father. And I knew right then, I mean, that's the cross the Rubicon, right? Like, that's it, you know? Life is, my life as I know it will never be the same. And I, uh, I testified a couple days later at the grand jury securing my father's indictment. I was then <laughs> uh, abandoned by both sides of my family. My mother's side let, of the family. Let me ask this first. Yeah. How long, be, once they told you your mother was dead, how long did it take for the trial to happen? Six months. Six months. So in between that time and six months, what were you doing? So, so a couple of days after that, I testified at the grand jury. They secured his indictment. Right. Then my, both sides of my family told me, my mother's, my mother's sister, my godmother said to me, we can't take you in. You look like your father. They lived you, in Baltimore. You look like your father? I don't look like my father. I look like my mother, but I'm male. That's so what therefore, they told you? Though? That's verbatim what they told me. They say, I can't take you in because we cannot you take look you like your father. Because you look like your father. Yes. Uh, because this is my mother's sister. This is my mother's sister. This is my godmother. I grew Amazing. up Catholic. <laughs> this is my godmother. They're good practicing Catholics. Uh, on the flip side, my father's side of the family, my father's brother especially, was like, well, you're gonna, we're going to get you. You're going you're, you're, you're gonna to say that this is all made up. Your father's been arrested. Because my father's a psychopath and a master manipulator, so he has essentially convinced the entire family that this is all a, you know, this is all a bunch of nonsense. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, utterly fanciful that he could ever do this. He's perfect, um, which, of course, is not true. But uh, so I was remanded into the foster care system. And... For the next five months, as like the star witness of this trial, I had to sort of live in pretty much. I was allowed to go to school. I was not allowed to watch television. I wasn't allowed to read the newspapers. It was all over. It was the big. I mean, imagine like we're, we live in Los Angeles, right? Imagine the O.J. Simpson trial was here. That's what this was like, where I grew up in a town of not even thirty thousand people. Like it was national media was covering this in parts, and I shudder to think if if like TikTok and social media and all that stuff was happening now, if that had happened then, what my life would have turned into. You know, the, the conjecture and whatnot. But it was, I mean, it, in the film, there's somebody that says it was like, I mean, they're like interviewed saying, it was like a movie. It's like a, a soap opera in our own town. It's, it's yeah. people were, it became this thing, man. And what was the name of the movie they made? So I made a film called A Murder in Mansfield. Oh, okay. And did you play, who played you? No, so it's a documentary. Oh. And, and I'm playing myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they found your mother, I read that they found your mother's body at this new house. They found my it, mother's body buried underneath. On the night that I'm having that asthma attack where I think I'm going to die, police are, are, are literally exhuming my mother's body from a, from a shallow grave that my father, my father had dug underneath the basement floor of this house. At this new house. This new house that I found the photographs of that I tipped the police off to. That's amazing. And when you heard that, what was that like hearing that, that he had buried her under cement like that? Oh, all of it was just, again, it was, it, like I was saying, it's so hard to put into words that everything that you thought was true, you, you, because you hope that it's, you, you don't want this to be true, but, but you also, 
it's like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like, I, I was right. But, like, who wants to be right in that situation? Yeah. Like, it's the worst feeling in the world. But what, what's interesting to me about hearing you talk about it now is that you, uh, you was 11 years old going on 12 there. Mm-hmm. And you had the mindset that you had to deal with it once you were missing and the way you dealt with it. Yes. To me, that's, you don't normally see 12 years old thinking that way. No. <laughs> and where did you get But I was that? not a normal 12-year-old. You were abnormal? 100%. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, my parent, like, I was the kid who would leave, who, like, you get off on summer vacation. I get to play with my friends for a week. Then my mother would put me back into summer school, learning either art, music, science, all the above. Like, my mother was very, my parents were both very into education. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up. I grew up with TV, but I didn't, didn't grow up. My parents were not like, here, sit down in front of the television and, and that's going to take care of yourself. Right. My mother was my constant companion. I spent 99% of my time with my mother. So my father was always gone working at the hospital or whatever he was doing, but obviously having all these multiple affairs and relationships. Were you, were your father, was, he didn't like the fact that you were close to your mother? I don't think so, no. <clears throat> but my father was never around anyways. And so is it possible he treated you the way he treated her because you were just like her? It, that could be a possibility. I think that my father is just a narcissist. But fathers don't like for their sons to be close to mothers because their sons become like the mother. And they tend to oh, turn the children away from it, their father. And it, it's, it's interesting that you said that because I have watched some of your videos. You know, my father would say to me that my, my mother was turning me into a, um, you know, I don't want to use inappropriate language but you know she was he's you're gonna be gay you're gonna be a, a, a sissy you're gonna be he wasn't using that word but like right. you know it was just very abusive to me growing up the fact of the matter is is that i was the alpha male i was the man who held him you were the alpha male a hundred percent i mean i grew up being the opposite of what he t- told me i was growing to grow up to be yeah because at the end of the day he is still sitting in prison. He will be 80 years old on May the 1st. He is 80? still, yes, really? he is still sitting in prison because he got outsmarted by his 12-year-old son. That's mm-hmm. the fact of the matter. Well, that feel like knowing that you did that, that it's because of your witness that, uh, to the incident or what happened that you have him in jail. I mean, well, for, I mean, I'm not the reason he's in prison. Right. No, you're that not way. the reason. He that. did. I mean, he but brought this on himself. Against him as a kid. Well, but uh, the fact that that I'm the one that alerted everyone and and said, no, this is not going to happen on my watch. You know, and then he's then he, he, I want to take you to Florida. Like I ended up finding out that he had a fixer in Florida. I interviewed the judge for my father's trial a few months ago on my podcast, and he there was a guy who testified that was his fixer in Florida. This guy probably would have stuck me in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> like, I mean, he would have killed me. He What's was going to kill me. Huh? What's a fixer? Oh, a fixer. Like somebody that handles stuff for you. Like, oh, you ever like see Ray Donovan? Things? Ray Donovan's a fixer. But oh, like, I see. People have fixed your problems. Like, oh, I'll make it go away. I oh, pay me I 10 grand. You. Yeah. <laughs> and so you testified in court. Your father was sitting there? What's that? Was your father sitting there while you testified in court? So I testified for two days at his trial, staring that man down. And really? you want to know something? He never looked, never would look me in the eye. He never looked at you while you were testifying? Wouldn't look at me at all. Did he, did he love you? 
Um, my mother, as my mother used to say, your father loves you in his own sick, weird way. Maybe part of it. I think that my father, because he's a narcissist and a psychopath, but narcissist, psychopaths are narcissists, not narcissists are psychopaths, if that makes sense. But because he has that extreme narcissism that, of course, he loves me in that very superficial way that I'm, you know, from his loins, I'm his son, so therefore. But at the same time, my father for sure hates me. He hates you? A hundred percent. And why do you say that? My father has even said, admitted to people, I mean, his, his anger is vitriol. I read his letters on my... Um, podcast that he sent me over the years to expose like narcissism manipulation like I have 400 of those letters but I also have letters that he sent to other people talking about me as an adult I recently just got a, a letter when uh, that he had written and said something about me where one of my film was released and talking about me yeah my father holds massive anger towards me because he, he feels you know? because he feels that I I put him in prison. Um, like I said, in his own weird way, maybe sure. And do you love him? I love him. Have you forgiven him? Hundred percent. You told that him? was the first. So that's an interesting thing because, <clears throat> and like I said, I watch some of your stuff, and I think that there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around forgiveness. And I remember I was, I was one of my first jobs as a cinematographer. I was shooting these motorcycle stunt riders, and I was in the Dominican Republic. And we were in this hotel, and it was like 120 degrees and humid. And I was telling them the story. Because I, I, when I moved to L.A., like, like I said, I, created, I didn't create a new identity, but no one knew my story. You know, a few of my close friends knew his dad murdered his mom. He heard it happen. He was adopted that's, from Ohio. Like, that's very... Surface right. details. Yeah. <clears throat> but I was sitting there and I, and I, and I was talking because my father was up for parole. And I had taken the job so I could go back to Ohio because they were from Ohio so I could see my father in prison. Because you have to understand, I also maintained a relationship with my father for 26, 27 years while he was incarcerated. You know, uh, I would go and see him. And I... Um, I was explaining to them that I forgave him. And they were like, well, how could you do that? But I was like, how can you do that? I was like, you're, you're looking at this through the long, wrong lens. It's not about him. It's about me. And me saying, what you did has no power over me anymore. What you did to my mother has no power over me. I'm not condoning it. You're wrong. You did this. But I forgive you. For that, you I told him you. that. Yeah, hundred percent. And what, so you faced him and told him you forgive him. Of course, I did. And what did he say? He said, "Thank you." Oh God, I do forgive him. I, I don't like him. I don't like. I, mean, I don't like what he did. Right. But he's my father, yeah. and that's the thing that a lot of people just find it so difficult to understand. How can you love him? How can you do this? But guess what? You've never been in my shoes. You don't know what that's like. That's right. You don't know what it's like. It's very complicated. Yeah. It's a. It is a cognitive dissonance in its purest form. So I think that that is something that I see that holds a lot of people back. And on my podcast, when I share all of this, is how I impact the world is showing that, that compassion and that forgiveness 
you know, I'm not trying to sound messiatic or anything, but I, I it's it's just it it really is empowering. But it's one of those things if you you don't know in, until you know, until you really realize it, like how how much that empowers having that grace to do that. It doesn't mean you you back down or you do anything. It's that you lead with this compassion and 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 operate your your life in such a way that reflects that. How old were you when you forgave him? It's probably like fully. So I was 15 when I wrote, 15, 13, when I wrote him a letter that I read in the film to him because I confront him in prison. Um, because you have to understand that I, I made this film, A Murder in Mansfield, because I wanted to find out why he murdered my mother. I wanted to hear him. I wanted to f- figure this out because I thought that that was sort of the last remaining piece yeah. of, my, of my journey. Like this will, this will put all this to bed. And then I, I had to really realize that it's not a, the answer is not what you need. It's, it's, it's the, it, you know, what if the answer you seek is not the answer you need? Ultimately, it's the process. <laughs> it's, it's not the finish line. It's the marathon that you're running. It's the journey. But I, was, I wrote him a letter when I was 13 asking him to admit his guilt and for the sake of our family so we could all move on. So, you know, because he had, he had a, he has a, I have a half-sister that was born 12 days before he was, before he was arrested. This is the adopted sister. No, I have a half sister too. Oh, with so his, I have an adopted sister from Taiwan, and then there's another like she's my half sister. And so my father's daughter with the mistress, and um, you know, I asked him. I said, for her sake, for all of our sakes, just admit it. Come clean. Like just that's all you have to do. And he opened the letter. He put it back in the envelope. He wrote, wrote refused on it, and he sent it back to me. So in my film, I opened that letter. I hadn't seen it since I sent it to him when I was 13 years old, and I read it to him, again, posing those same questions. It's interesting because in that particular scene, you see... Um, you. you, you <laughs> You just you see my father because my father thought because he's a narcissist as fun as his core that I was making a film to help him get out of prison, <laughs> which is why he participated in it. So your father's actually in the movie talking about yeah. this, really. I sit with him just like you and I are sitting right here. Wow, was that hard for you to do it? I mean, the no, I mean that was. That's like one of those moments. That's like, you know, LeBron breaking the scoring title. That's like, that is that moment in your life where you're sitting down and you're like, I went from there to here and here we are now. And this is my moment. But again, as you'll see in the film, I say to him, why don't you really, why don't you be honest with me? Because it's not just my life, it's your life that's at stake here. It's your freedom. Because my father was going to be off for parole again. And it's like, if he could admit, because how I had sold it to the, to the Department of Corrections to let me film there, is that 
I said, this, if my, fa- my father will admit his guilt, it'll be this big shining moment, prodigal son returns, and then it'll be this big forgiveness moment. What I didn't tell them is, is that I know he's a narcissist and he probably won't do that. And he didn't. It's hidden beneath the layers of self-protection and narcissism. And here's this man who tormented me my entire life, who I'm extending the grace to yet again, saying, I'm giving you an opportunity here. And he just fumbles the ball at the, at the one-yard line. Was it, um, um, that's interesting, man, that you, so how old are you now? 45. And what made you stop going to visit him? Well, when I went into the, you know, with the film, when he leaves the room, you know, it was interesting, I was being interviewed by the New York Times, and the, the guy said, he's like, I watched your film, and he said, there, the one moment that sticks out of me out of the whole thing is after your father's telling you all this, and obviously he's lying and he's just in this whole thing. He said, you stand up and you hug him and you say, I love you, Pop. And he's, like when, he's like, you saying that to your father tells me everything I need to know about you and your character as a human being. He's like, I don't know anyone that would ever do that in that situation. And I was like, well, yeah. I do love my father. Do you miss him? And yeah, but I mean, like, what am I missing? In a lot of ways, like, the 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 thing is, is that is that he's never been the person I've wanted him to be. He's never been a person that genuinely cared about me. The problem is, is when you're dealing with a psychopath, everything is transactional. So everything is calculated and transactional. He wants something from me. That's the only reason why he's talking to me. The only reason why he does it. it, it it's, 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 I'm a cog in the machine to him. What was it? Um... And that, by the way, was the hardest thing to accept. And that's what I really realized in that moment in the prison, in the film, right there. It was hard to accept that he was just about himself. That, 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 it, that my relationship had always been transactional with him, and that's what it was about. Oh, I see. That's what I realized. What, what did your mother do wrong in their relationship, the reason that he was so mean to her? Well, my father's a narcissist. So What, what did she do wrong? So it doesn't, it, 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 everything that she did was wrong. And ultimately, when she said that she's divorcing him and leaving him, that was the ultimate wrong for him. That's why he took her life. No, what, what was it? Oh, this is what I want to ask. First, and then I come back to that. Are you are you did, asking? Are you are you asking? You, was my mother a saint and my father's the devil? No, of course not. <laughs> did you? See, it takes two to tango. Right. Did you need your father to admit it in order to forgive him? No, because I forgave him long before, before he ever he admitted it, it okay. to me. Um, I forgave him probably like when I was so I was in college. You know, I wrote him that letter. He sent it back to me when I was thirteen. <clears throat> And I think around like, it was around like 18, 19 when I was in college, like, you know, you're on your own and you're really reflecting on like what your life's going to look like. And I, and I wasn't necessarily like holding on to a lot of anger because I'm, I don't, I've never done that, but I was, whatever was there, I was like, man, you got to let this shit go. Like whatever's there, yeah. because that's going to affect you in your life, and you don't want that. So why did you need him to admit it, and why were you trying so hard to get him to admit it if you have forgiven him? Well, because I thought that that was like the final nail in the coffin for me to like completely move on with my life, because I wanted answers, and I was like, oh, I really want this answer. It 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 just felt like it, it just felt like my whole life had led up to that moment that I'm confronting him. 
And then that's when I realized that I don't need that at all. Right. Like, I'm good. Well, and probably here's the here's the real here's the real thing that's gonna that that's really gonna you know twist your mind is if he did do that. If he did say, well, you know what, I killed her because I did this, 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 this. That probably would have led to way more questions and way more self-doubt and way more just going down a rabbit hole of everything than it would be that it was to realize that he's not capable of that and that we are two completely different people. Because the thing you have to understand, too, is the way that I grew up and the way that I, the way that I was looked at by people, like, I don't know if you have children, but if you had a daughter and I come to your house, and you're like, hey, what do you do? What's your story? And I was so, like, hey, oh, yeah, my dad murdered my mother. You're not going to be like, oh, it's great. Jenny, go out with this guy. He sounds like a great guy. Of course not. Yeah, well, so I, I lived that. with this stigma yeah. growing up, like, you know, even girls, like, that I would date in high school or whatever, or college, like, people knew me. Even as an adult, like, living in Los Angeles, people find my story. And when the movie was out, I was dating somebody, and the family was like, are you sure about him and stuff? Like, man, like, come <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, I wonder, as a result of that, when you were dating, so would the women be afraid to be alone with you once they found that out? No, no. But, like, but definitely people, um, you, you know, f- f- and rightfully so, people are cautious, or families are like, are you sure about this guy? But I'm a... I'm a nice, kind individual, and I'm I'm very respectful of women. So, I I don't, you know, I lead with kindness, and I have a good heart, and I'm open, I'm compassionate. Um, so they didn't feel threatened by me by any stretch of the imagination. Well, what would they feel? Well, I mean, my relationships were you know were all positive until they ended. I mean, <laughs> I mean. You, yeah. you know what I mean? <clears throat> what did your mother do wrong in the relationship with you know, your father that irritated him so much? She had to be doing something. He didn't just wake up every morning and decide, let me beat this woman for no reason. Well, he wasn't beating Not her. Not beat her, yeah, yeah, but, but being what you call him. Well, no, what, my father. What did she do wrong in the relationship? I mean, I don't know what she, like, look, I, I was a child. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't there when they met. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even thought of at that time. So I can't really speak to that. But as I've, you know, I made the film, I have the podcast, I've been learning and reconnecting with different family members, not my immediate family necessarily, but ancillary people around the family, and finding little things out about, you know, my parents met when they were in high school. Uh, you, You know, I think that my father exhibited a lot of traits of a narcissist, you know, I, uh, but my mother just tolerated it for whatever reason. Well, what did she do wrong in a relationship to, to irritate him so much? Well, it could have been, I mean, I, I don't, again, I wasn't really there, but I think that. But I you think would that, hear him yelling at I think her. that, I think that. What would he yeah, yell at her about? Think like what? Because he didn't get his way. Because my father, as all narcissists do, want to have their cake and eat it too. He wanted to be able to have multiple affairs. No, but what did your mother do wrong in the relationship with your father? Because she wouldn't allow him to do that. She wouldn't allow him to what eat his cake. What other things that she would do that would irritate him? Probably her closeness with me, I'm sure. Was he wrong for being irritated that she would turn you away from him? My mother never turned me away from him. If you were that close to her, that is a turning away from 
Yeah, but my mother That's wasn't. Was my saying, mother wasn't. My mother wasn't disparaging. Was she right for turning you away from him? But my mother wasn't disparaging of my father until my father showed his true colors to me six months before he killed her. Like I never knew. I could see my father's behavior, but my mother would always just say, "Well, you know, he'll be fine," or "Daddy loves you." It's, it's just he's having a moment or whatever. Like most women that are in abusive relationships do. To, to to placate things for their children. So was she right for turning him, you, bringing you so close to her rather than making you be close to your father rather than her? My father was didn't. Was she have, right for that? My so my my mother brought me close because my father didn't want anything to do with me a lot of times. But apparently he did if he was saying that. I don't want well, you but, this close to this woman because you start acting like her. You won't be a, a boy like you should. Was she right? And a, and a lot that? of those things, and a lot of those things happened towards the end when they were getting the divorce. He would say these things to me, but my father, you know, my relationship with my father would be, you know, he wasn't around a lot. We would go on ski trips together uh, a lot of times. Uh, sometimes my mother would come, sometimes not, and I would go with him on his rounds to the hospital. And to go see his patients. And like my father, like I said, we grew up in a small town in Ohio, so we would go to like Amish country, and he had patients that were Amish, so I'd go and see Amish, how the Amish live, which is fascinating. But, you know, my, my parents were, like let's say we all went out to dinner, right, with friends. We would come home, and then my father would leave. Because my father was always, always saying, oh, I'm on call, he had a beeper, oh, I've got to go, but... I just thought he was working and didn't want to be around us. He, or not, not to, I thought he was working and didn't want to, and not necessarily didn't want to be around us. But it was what it what, what was the case is that my father was having affairs with multiple women. So really, he was using that excuse to go and go on a date with other women. How do you know your mother told you that, right? No, Who told you I that? found all of this out afterwards. So what did your mother do wrong? What would your mother do that would irritate you as a kid? You wish she didn't do or had done? Or well, my mother was very... Concerned in the two of you. Well, my mother was very strict. And, you know, my mother, like I said, education was a big deal in my household. So I was always going to school and I would, you know, but I also loved to learn. But my mother was strict with me, sure. You, um... She made me wear penny loafers. So that... That maybe was probably the thing that irritated. <laughs> was your father right in not and the bowl cut too? The bowl cut didn't like that either. Was he right in not wanting you to be so close to her because would it the effect that it would have on you? Was he right about that? I mean, I'm the person that I am today because of my mother, and my mother had to wear both hats because my father wasn't around. So my mother who was German-Irish, and my grandfather, her father, was very, very strict growing up with her. So she sort of used that strictness that my father should have had on me. She was that person. So that was annoying, in a way, if you're saying the things that my mother would bother me, is that she was the disciplinarian in the household with me because my father wasn't there. A lot of times I think that maybe something that could have been a a point of um, contention or, or something that may have affected their relationships is that my father may have come in a lot of times as the good time guy 
where like, oh, okay, we're going to go skiing. He wasn't there for like the nitty gritty, do your homework, call your, go to bed at eight o'clock, the disciplinary stuff, turn off the television, you need to do this, whatever that is, right? So I think that that may have annoyed my mother. But my mother's annoyance with him was that my father wasn't allowed to get away with all the stuff that she had let him get away with for years before. So I'm asking though, was your father right in not wanting you to be so close to her because it wasn't good for you? Oh, I, I think that's wrong because I think it was ultimately very good that I was very close to my mother in this situation. Is, is it good to have your mother's identity or your father's identity? In my, case, in my case, it would be good that I have my mother's identity. And so the one thing that she did wrong was she was too disciplinary with you? I wouldn't say that's wrong, though. I think if you're trying to it's – not, it's not a black and white sort of thing. It's not, it's not one way or the other. It's, there's a lot of gray area with that. It's not, I wouldn't say it was wrong, like that's wrong. I would say that it was challenging having a mother who was – like many people are raised in single-parent households, right? But right. I wasn't in a single-parent household. Right. But I think that – the role that my mother had to play was that of my mother and my father. So, well, because asking, my father wasn't around. So, do I think that's right or wrong? I mean, I think that ultimately, I think it was right because I like the person that I've turned out to be. Should boys grow up close to their mothers like that, though? I mean, that's just such a generalized term or just a general statement. I don't know if, 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 Men should grow up to. I think men should. I think ideally, in a utopian society, both parents should be in the household and should be active in the child's life. And the purpose of that, so the father can keep the children away from the father. I mean, from the mother, so that they don't become like the mother, emotional, in imagination, and all that crap. It, it, it destroys the boys and the girls because you become like what you hate. And so that's why I'm asking. Was your father wrong in not wanting you to be that close to her? Yeah, but my father was, I mean, my father was wrong in that because my father was not exactly an exemplary individual. If my father was a strong presence and a good, honest person with integrity that led his life that way, he would have been, he would have been right in feeling that way. Was but in mother- this case, my father was not an example of a good, honest person that led his life with integrity and intent of purpose. He wasn't. My mother had to do that and had to teach me that. Was so your my, an exemplary my situation person? is very different than many other people. Was she an exemplary person? In a lot of ways, yes, but she was so, still flawed, like we all are. What was some of her flaw? Exemplary her flaw? Well, I mean, I think in the end, toward, you know, when the divorce was happening, she was having an affair at the same time that my father was having an affair. After, after that, after they were getting a divorce, which ultimately was not good for her. I think, but I didn't, again, I didn't know about all of this until She didn't tell you that she was having an affair? No, because it happened so, well, first of all, I didn't know uh, because I was 11. Like, I'm not suspicious of those things. I wasn't seeing people coming over to the house. But I do know that she had an affair with with one of of our family's friends towards the very end of her life. Amazing. Um, And so, was was he wrong for not wanting you to be so close to her, knowing the effect it would have on you. I mean, was he... I mean, no. I mean, I, I think it like... I mean, it, it, he, he wouldn't have been wrong in, the, in a situation where if he was leading by example and being a... 
a good person. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Am I? Was your mother a good person? My mother was a good person. My There's no such person. thing as a good person. There's no such thing as a good person? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because the heart of mankind is wicked, and they always have a hidden agenda. And it's always about themselves, you with your father and your mother. It was always about themselves and never about the other person because that's what egos are. The nature of the ego, which is of the devil, is always about self. It's never about the children. It's never about the husband and wife don't care for each other. It's always something they're trying to get for themselves. For example, when your mother drew you so close to her, mm-hmm. instead of not doing that to you, it was about her. It wasn't even about you. It was about her and not about your father. Your father has his thing. It was about her. It was about him. He would be easy that way until their heart changed from anger to love. Um, um, so you don't, I'm not clear if you understand it. And I'm not, and look, I'm not trying to be prevaricative at all. I'm just, I, I, but my case, my, my upbringing is so extreme. Like I can't, I don't want to say that, I mean, I can't, I, I can't say, it's not that I don't want to say, I can't say that if my father had had his way, my father didn't have any interest in me. I literally asked my father in the film, did you want to have a child? And he goes, well, of course. But my understanding is growing up is my father didn't want to have a child. Did you treat him the way your mother treated him? No, I was afraid of my father. <laughs> I certainly did. And my mother didn't treat him. My mother was afraid of my father. Is it possible that they have more going on that's you difficult, more difficult to him than you can imagine? And that's why, which doesn't make it right, but that's why he wasn't around a lot. He was still away from her because he couldn't deal with her. She appeared to be nice with you and other people, but with, between the two of them, it was hell to pay. Is uh, that possible? Uh, it, it could be, but you, one of the things that I, that I explored to really try to find out the core of what you're saying, when I, when I was making the film, was to find out like how my father behaved with my mother when they were younger. And I found out that my father had always cheated on my mother long before they were married. Then... My my father's sister told me about this particular interest uh, instance. instance. You shouldn't believe what women tell you about men. Even the mothers don't tell the truth about the fathers. I shouldn't believe about a story that my that my <laughs> my aunt, yeah. my father's sister, right. told me. Yeah. Why would I disbelieve her? Because women don't tell the truth. I don't necessarily believe that. No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> it's not in them to tell the truth. They'll tell you. Is it in men to tell the truth? Not as much now as it used to be when, it, when boys were boys and men were men. That feels very anachronistic but, to me, but I don't... But men don't tell the truth because they have the mother's nature. And they don't tell the truth either, for the most part. But let me ask. Um, but do you believe that... I, because you're looking at somebody who is essentially a product of their mother. Yeah, and for good reason. And for good reason. And for me, you know, my mother, was she perfect? Absolutely not. Was my father perfect? Uh, clearly not. Give me an example. One other thing that we got to move on here. What was imperfect about your mother other than she was a little tough on you? What was imperfect about her? Well, I think, I think in a lot of ways she stayed in an abusive marriage. No, what was imperfect about her? That she chose to stay around someone 
who ultimately took her life do and endangered think, her child's life even. Do you think she loved irritating him? That's why she stayed? She got life from that? No, I think that she was just caught up in it like people do. People get uh, caught up in it. Oh. Uh, so were you traumatized? You were traumatized when you found out all this about your mother, right? Traumatized when I found out when what? When you found out she was dead and he had, he had buried her. You were traumatized. Of course. And how were you traumatized? Describe the trauma. Well, I think, I mean, how was I, tra- I mean, my father murdered my mother. So it's, I think at the very core of that trauma is the fact that my image of family, because you have to understand that even though I knew my father was an abusive and it was never around, it was this person, I still idolized my father. Right. I still, that was my father, right? That's your yeah. father. You still like are holding out hope that, oh, maybe one day daddy will love me. Maybe one day like I'll be good enough in his eyes. Even to, as an adult, like I held on to that for so long, right? Because that's your father, right? And you get the love from your mother, but you have this, this sort of thing that you want, to, you want your father to be proud of you and all those things, right? So I think for me, when that, even though I, I had found out about like the fair side, I met the girlfriend and all this nonsense, I, I still held out hope that he was, it, it just, that moment, the, tra- the real trauma, the core of that trauma is that that shattered my sort of, impression of what my family was and and that ideally I idolize my father so I realized at that moment that my father is a bad person and that my mother is imperfect as well and that maybe in their own ways they're both destructive people even yeah. though I feel like my mother was very was very like I'm here because of her I'm here because of, of what she did and how she treated me and how she ultimately raised me because my father was not around. Well, how were you traumatized, Owen? What was the trauma? Because my entire image of the family was shattered. Oh, just I by grew up because of how I per- perceived my family. Does it bother because you? Because I think that? that even I think that even at the point when you're even in the midst of the divorce, I think as a child you're still like maybe they can work things out. Maybe things will work out because I, as I said at the top of our conversation, I thought that I grew up with a really normal childhood because I didn't even know that, that families got divorces and, and all these things happened until we moved to this small town in Ohio. And I had friends that were raised by single mothers and, and had fathers and that they would spend time with on the weekends or vice versa. And I thought, wow, at least I have both my parents. Let me ask this. When you found out that your father had cheated on your mother, did that bother you? It shattered an image of him, yeah, because I thought my father was this, you know, could could be this, you know, ideal so it just, person. It shattered the it felt image wrong. you had of your father, but sure. it didn't bother you that he had cheated on her. I mean, at the time, it bothered me. Why? Well, because I'm also 11 years old, I don't understand that dynamic <laughs> of human sexuality and love and all those things. I think as an adult... I look at it, I mean, because you're asking me to have a, a perspective on it as a child. So right. when that happens, I don't understand it. I just think, oh, well, right. oh, he's a son of a bitch. Now, as it's older, I am, obviously, as you get older, you realize and you, and you, you also realize the veil of, of perfection that you live in 
you, you know, you idolize your parents and then you realize as you grow older that, oh, they're just flawed human beings like we all are. Yeah. And that's, and that ultimately is what sort of leads you through. Plus he wasn't cheating on you, he was cheating on her. Yeah, and then you realize that like relationships are complex. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm not, you know, so yeah, I'm sure my mother annoyed him and he annoyed her. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, two, it takes two. And it not takes two, that's why I say the top of it, it takes two to tango. Yeah. Always. Um, have you forgiven your mother, though she's dead now? Have you forgiven her for the mistakes she made with you, the things she did to you? Yeah, and that was an interesting thing because that was something that I, that I never even realized that I needed to do. Yeah. Like the big elephant in the room was forgiving my father, right? Yeah. I didn't think about my mother. Not don't. because I deified her, but because the other stuff was so big looming in the room. It was like it became less of a thing. But I remember when I really confronted that in my life of, of recognizing her flaws and saying, okay, I need to I need to have peace with that and forgive that too. Yeah. Was it hard for you to recognize that your mother wasn't perfect? She wasn't this angel that you thought she were as a child. No, not at all. It wasn't difficult. It was hard to face. No, that. because I because I recognize that she was imperfect as well. When I found all the stuff out recently after her murder, that she was having an affair with someone, that that was awkward. That uh, that. You know, she had stuck it out with my father despite saying, you know, if something happens to me. That's a lot to put on a kid. Yeah, if something yeah. happens to she me, your too. father your father probably had me killed. You forgave her for telling you that? I did, yeah. yeah. But I didn't realize I had to do that. Right. Most people don't realize they need to forgive their mother. They don't know that the, the, the spirit of evil come through her. They think it comes from the father. But when you're born through the woman, you take on her her. The I, anger, the spirit that she has. I, I would tend to say don't the know, spirit of they, evil. They, they love their mother when they really resent her. Sure, maybe there is that, but I think that the evil in the spirit of my father was much, <laughs> was much more powerful than her evil. Because that was the thing that I realized when I was sitting in that prison with him when we were filming. Because I had done that hundreds of times before, sat there and had conversations with him. It was just when I looked into his eyes, I realized there was nothing staring back at me. And that's when I realized that our entire relationship, that he's a psychopath, and that my, uh, my entire relationship, well, I said it was a sociopath at the time because I didn't understand psychopathy. But there was nothing behind his eyes. What did the trauma feel like, though, when, that, when you discovered it? Heart, heartbreaking. What, like, what, what was the feeling? Can you tell what was that? Soul crushing. It was soul crushing. Absolutely soul crushing. Like, what does soul crushing mean? You ever curl up in a ball in just such pain, like you're just, you want to just vomit? There's nothing to vomit out, and you're like retching. You ever, you ever experienced that? No. In just sheer pain, and you're just, you're retching for no reason, and you're just curled over? Like, that's what that feels like. It is the betrayal of the worst kind. And when your mother family and your father's family said, we don't want you. We're not going to take you because you look like your father and because you're witness against whatever they said, right? What did that feel like? That nobody wanted you? That sucked. You were still 11 or 12? Well, I was almost 12, so. And, and that, you said that sucked? Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. But unfortunately, not surprising. And why not? 
Because I just sort of had realized in that in those moments that just with my father's behavior, with everything that had come down, I'm like, of course they're all selfish. <laughs> like they're all, and, and I, and I had to have forgiveness and compassion with that too, because I couldn't understand. I'm like, why won't you guys be here for me? I don't understand that. And then I had to realize that people process trauma different. And so they have to go into this nature. They have to go into the self-protection. They have to go into these, you know, they've got to look out for their family or what they feel like they have to look out with. And also they don't want to take on that responsibility or accountability for what had gone on. And so because of time here, I really have to start winding down. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Walking around as a kid and being amongst other kids, well, that's uncomfortable for you because of what you thought that they were thinking about you? A little bit, but I also, there was also part of me that, that had a level of acceptance of it that I just didn't care anymore. Oh, I see. I think when you go through something that's that traumatic, you're just like, like, and whatever. And when you start dating, would you tell the women about what happened or would they find out what happened? No, I was I was pretty open. And why were you telling them? Because I did, I don't like springing surprises on people. That is a surprise. Yeah, that's a, a big, that's a big surprise too. That's a big surprise. That's not like oh, you know, I didn't tell you about that DUI I got oh, back right. a couple you years ago. Out, you want to go out on a date tonight? Yes, I would like to. Oh, by the way, my dad had just killed my mama. I don't do it that. I'm not that brazen. <laughs> but I would. But if you're in a conversation and they're asking you like you're getting to know one another, tell me about your childhood. Well, I'm a child because they would know I was adopted because I would probably have said, oh, I'm my adopted mother or father or whatever. So then they would say, oh, well, tell me about your adoption, thinking I was like adopted <laughs> at birth. And I'm like, well, I was adopted when I was 13 uh, because of this happening. So it always just sort of came up in conversation. And right and, then they say, take it, please. Or not, or they we, stick the around. The break is over. Or they, or they <laughs> proceed to ask uh, a just a <laughs> litany of questions for the next two hours, yeah. and you're like, "Oh my God, can I have the check, please? I gotta go. <laughs> I'm over this." So, do you are you still traumatized? I mean, I think I'll always be traumatized. Why? Because I think when you go through something that's that horrific. Do you believe, so you don't believe you can ever not be traumatized by that? I think that you always carry part of it. I think it just gets, it just, it just, you become, it just, you just cope with it and it just goes away slowly. But I think it's something, honestly, that I'll always carry. But you don't have to be carrying it at all. You can forget it by forgiving. Realize that they well, cannot help themselves and that they both are wrong, but they both can help themselves. And you forgive them and God will forgive you. Then it be as though it never happened. Well, you know, it's a spiritual thing, and you don't have to be traumatized the rest of your life. But, I, but I'm not saying that it's it's. I guess like things, I might get startled or something like a loud sound. I might go like it might. I think that I become very hypersensitive when I'm referring to being traumatized because I have forgiven them. I think that it's it's not it's not that I have that I'm holding, that I'm not, that I haven't forgiven them. It's that there are certain things that I realize in my life that I carry, you know, you carry fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. You know, when you grow up in a situation like that and you're tiptoeing because part of the trauma too is that you, when you get sent to foster care is you're living under the roof of someone's place that can kick you out at any time. So you're always walking on eggshells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not their child. <laughs> Do you still long for your father? Like a void is there, and it's like sure a longing for him. 
Sure. Yeah. Of course. I think that I think that you you know I think I'll always and I'm sad that he made the choices that he did. Are you conservative or liberal? I think I'm right smack dab in the middle. In the middle? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um amazing. So your fortunes oh, just two things, and then I gotta put sure. you on the hot seat. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I thought I was on the hot seat. <laughs> Two things. Your foster sister, I read that she was taken away. Yeah, well, she, I was, ta- I, she was adopted by the foster family that we were with. Oh, okay. And how old is she now? Around? 35. So do you ever see her? I've, I have not seen her since January of 1991. Really? And why not? The family did not want me to have contact with her. It's very complex, but they wanted to raise her in the same small town that we all this happened without knowing who she was or anything about her, which was, they tried to shield her from all that, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't think that's... Oh, I see. And would you like, have children, so. would you like to see her? Sure. Would you, do, you want, do you want to get married one day and have, have kids and all that? Make kids? I do. You I do? do. Yeah. Is that going to happen? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen? For sure. Oh, nice. Do you ever, are you ever concerned that you would do to a woman what your father did to your mother? No. You never, that doesn't cross your mind at all? That crossed my mind for a long time before I had to forgive and before I had to understand yeah. and can process everything, for sure. I think that's only natural, but yeah. And especially when I left that room after dealing with my father, I realized I have nothing right. in common with this man. Like, I'm not that person. That's. Will you ever go see him again? I would. I've been thinking about it. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I got to heat this thing up. I got to put you on the hot seat. Oh, boy. Heat it up. (laughs) And I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. The hot seat. What is love? What is love? I think it is just... I think love... God, that's a, I, I don't know. It's it's you. It's I, it's hard to explain, but you know it when you feel it. What is a man? Person stands up for what's right. Were women created to lead or to follow? Uh, both. Would you ever obey a woman? Sure. Last month was Women History Month. Did you know that? I did. And do you know that August is Men History Month? I did not know that. Yeah. But now I do. Will you celebrate Men History Month? Yeah, of course. Did you celebrate Women History Month? I mean, I think I maybe made a post on social media, but I, <laughs> I say thank you, Mom. I love you. And shout out to all the strong women out there. Uh, it's a, um, what is a man? Well, I think a man is a person who, who leads by example who 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 does what is what is right in the right moment and and takes charge in a way and and inspires others. Is America the best country on this side of heaven? Yes. Is the earth round or flat? Round. Have you ever seen a ghost? Yes. Are you afraid of ghosts? No. <laughs> does a chicken have lips? No, it has a beak. Uh, true or false, abortion is um, 
uh, slavery is worse than abortion? Uh, yes. Slavery is worse than abortion? No, that's the wrong way. Uh, is, oh, the question is, is the civil rights movement worse than abortion? The worst thing that ever happened to the blacks, was it abortion or the civil rights movement? I don't know enough about either to make that comment. You have a day in a black I saw your book out there. You saw my book? I saw your book, and I'm like intrigued to read it, though. Nice. Have you ever dated a black girl? I have not. Not because I just, the girls, the black girls I was attracted to were not, didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> Do you believe that artificial intelligence will take over the world one day? No. Have you ever seen an ape turn into a human being? Have I ever seen an ape turn into a human being? Yeah. No, but I saw an ape do sign language the other day on, on TikTok. Is it better to be raised by a single woman or a single father? I mean, I think single father, but I'm a man, so I might be biased. Does a bear shit in the woods? Of course. Does racism exist? Unfortunately, yeah. It does? I think so. What? I think so. Where's the proof? Well, I've seen. I've never I've seen. seen I have personally seen people be racist. And what, what, give me a quick example of that. Not saying that somebody is inferior because of their skin color or what they believe. But, but and not the, giving them any opportunity. But the blacks, how come they have to give them opportunity? Why don't they create their own opportunity, like the white man? Well, I think every person needs to create their own opportunity. But what I'm saying is, I is, I, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm thinking more of prejudice, but I but I have seen people judge people on their skin color or their, and that's whether you're white, black, green, red, pink, whatever. I, and I think that that's that that's something that does exist in unfortunately in in not only America but but most certainly outside of the United States. I think I think racism in this country is is horrible and it's an abhorrent thing, but I think it exists way more prominently outside of this country. Are you a Christian? Uh, I was raised Catholic. Catholic. Do have you noticed that the white man is the white Christian man is the most hated man on this side of heaven for no reason? I haven't, but that's interesting. I don't, you know. You haven't noticed that they're trying to wipe him out. I, I, the blacks I, and others. I wouldn't say that. I, I I would say. I mean, that's an interesting thought. I, a, a white Christian man, I would say that there is I would say that there is a very polarizing thing that is existing at least in this country, which is people are 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 very against men there's a lot of hate towards yeah. that, and there's also a lot of stigma on both sides, whether you're religious or not, of people you know uh, disparaging people who are who do have who do lead their life of faith. And people who don't, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that's dangerous. What's wrong with the blacks? There's nothing with the, the blacks, like black people. They're, they're, <laughs> in my opinion, there's a, a lot of my friends were black growing up, so I don't know if there's nothing wrong with the blacks. <laughs> Is it okay for a black man to love the Confederate flag? I mean, I'm very, like, if you want to do you, like, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't, but uh, that if somebody wants to have a choice and that's what they want to do. I'm not going to tell them what they want to do. Do you love white people? I think freedom and freedom of choice, freedom of religion, freedom, freedom to, to worship how you want to worship. 
I think all those things are foundations of why this country is the best country on earth. You, and I think that, that a lot of that is under a lot of attack. Do you love white people? Yeah, I love all people. How about white people? I love white people. Uh, is a man in a dress a woman? Is a male in a dress a woman or a male? A male in a dress, a woman, or a, if it's a man in a dress, then they're a man. I've, I've, I've worn a dress before, and I was a man in a dress. <laughs> did you have fun? I did. Thank you for coming, man. Thank I you for having that. me. Thanks for taking the hot seat. Took the hot seat. I try to, <laughs> I try to do my best. <laughs> Tell the folks how they can find your movie, your podcast, uh, and whatever else you want to promote. Absolutely. So uh, my podcast is called Moving Past Trauma. You can find that on my website. My website is callyourlandry.com. You can get my film there. My film is A Murder in Mansfield. You want me to look right in the lens? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Gotcha. So my name is Collier Landry. You can find all things on me at, at Collier Landry. I have a YouTube channel. Moving Past Trauma is my podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. You can find all things Collier Landry at callyourlandry.com, which is my website. Check me out. Hit me up on Twitter and all the socials. Follow me on TikTok, YouTube. Check out. Check it out. Amazing. Thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Let me hear from you. Don't forget, we are on uh, locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. Also, to, uh, you can become a member of the fallestate.tv on YouTube channel there. Let me hear from you. Check out all our merch and all of the good stuff, all right? Thank you for your support. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Nice. That was good. (laughs) Is a man in a dress a woman or a man? Well, if it's a man in a dress, (laughs) then the man is in the dress. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing.